Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Star Wars fans. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. (laughs) I am your host. My name is Joseph Scrimshaw. I have some wonderful panelists here with me today. She's a performer, a writer, a podcaster, and the editor of the great website Geek Girl Authority. It's Audrey Kearns. He is a podcaster, a producer, an author, and he's responsible for a ton of panels here at DragonCon. It's Ken Plume. Hi there. And finally, he's a novelist, a screenwriter, and a big fan of whiskey. It's C. Robert Cargill. So for the benefit of the people listening to this podcast, we are recording here at DragonCon, great big convention in Atlanta. It is the hardest rockin' time of the convention. It's Monday at 10 (laughs) a.m. So 
We are ready to continue partying in a slightly hungover, desperately tired way. Uh, it's a good time to work through your feelings, I think, uh, Monday mornings. So here's what's going to happen if you're not familiar with the panel or the podcast. Uh, we are going to collect Star Wars grievances. We're going to collect things about our beloved Star Wars epic tale that bother us. And we're going to try to make one another just feel better about this thing that we love. So I'm going to get some grievances from the panelists. And then I will ask you guys to line up. We're going to have a mic right at this chair. I'll let you know when it's time to line up and we'll get to as many grievances as we possibly can. Uh, we, of course, want to let the light side in, but sometimes I know the darkness overwhelms. So the point of this is we will try, but we'll see if we can defeat your dark side. Uh, the other important thing to know as you think about your grievances is we really like to get specific. So don't just come up and say, uh, you know, I really dislike the prequels. Tell me, like, those butt cow things that Anakin and Padme ride, they bug me. What's the deal with those butt cow shack things? Nice and specific. Get down to that butt cow level for me, and that will be great. Uh, with no further ado, Audrey. Yes. Do you have a grievance for us? Well, you know, last year I told you about a grievance about getting a Luke and Leia doll for Christmas because I'm an OG Star Wars fan. I saw it in the 70s. And then making them make out and then finding out they're brothers and sisters. I thought that was going to be my only problem. And I, Ken told me last night, no, you need to bring a new grievance. And I, so I thought about it. Okay, so Revenge of the Sith. And I, you said specificity, so I pulled some up. Do you have like a frame, a specific frame yes. in Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the whole uh, Padme telling Anakin she's pregnant. Okay. It just, first of all, he's been away for a long time. You know, so is she, did she hold her pregnancy different? Like, it was in stasis that all of a sudden she's like, okay, now I'm pregnant. Because he was gone for quite a bit, and he's not happy about it, which is really sad to me. He kind of just, like, stares her down. Like, this isn't the happiest day of my life. And then there's, there's this scene later on where um, Anakin tells her, you are so beautiful. And then Padme responds, it's only because I'm in love. And then he says, no, it's because I'm so in love with you. And Padme says, so has love blinded you? And then Anakin says, well, that's not exactly what I meant. And Padme says, it's probably true, wink, wink. So <laughs> I felt like there was... <laughs> this is only like two grievances. Okay, I gave that's, you two grievances. That's quality writing. <laughs> <laughs> Third grievance, okay. So, so, so um, that relation, their relationship movie was very hard for me to believe. Okay, yeah, so uh, obviously I think when you talk about prequels a lot, uh, we here on the Force Center podcast feed call ourselves prequelists because yes. we recognize that there are many, many flaws with the prequels, but we enjoy the parts that we think are very good and add to the overall oeuvre and story of Star Wars. So we also talk a lot about the, uh, the difference between the intent and the execution. So I'm not, for myself, going to uh, argue that the romance was executed well. So I look towards the intent for myself. Uh, so in terms of the pregnancy, yes. is your primary issue that Anakin reacts in an odd way? Yes. Okay, that's, I can help you with, no problem. Okay. <laughs> Anakin has a secret relationship with Padme. Mm -hmm. There is no part of Jedi training where you get the sex talk. There's no... <laughs> There's no part where you get an extra bead for your Padawan braid <laughs> because you found out not only your midi-chlorian count, but your sperm count. Right. You know, that, that he doesn't know anything about this. He doesn't know how to process this. He doesn't have anybody to talk to about it. He doesn't it. know how babies are made, is what you're saying. Yeah, he, he might think <laughs> uh, it just happened because they're pretty. They're called younglings. <laughs> how younglings are, and then they all die. Uh, but Obi-Wan knows. Obi-Wan knows. I think everybody knows how, how babies are made. Uh, so there yes. was never a conversation on the road, as it were. Oh, hey, Obi-Wan, how are babies made? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the Jedi preach uh, self-love. <laughs> we are told this. They're taught to love and be selfless. Uh, anyway, the point is, I, I, in terms of pro him processing it, yeah, he's, he's in a totally secret relationship. I don't think, uh, I think in both a funny way and a true way, he has no road, true roadmap for doing this. He's doing it in secret. So I think he has that beat where he's like, Bleh? and then he's happy about it because okay. he loves her because she's so beautiful. I think bringing up the secret relationship part, Joseph, really helped me understand. Okay. And is there anything I can do to help you with their, their awkward talk? 
I don't know, because you've made oh. a point about the intent. Yeah, go for it. Sorry, I just got really excited, because I, I thought of a way to address this. Okay, let's do it. I'm going to record some video of my wife and I speaking to one another. <laughs> we have a bias in our entertainment where we expect romance to be played out in this sort of, uh, you know, lovely flowing way. Yeah. And you can approach this as, that's kind of accurate, awkward talk from people in a relationship. You know, we as real humans don't have screenwriters, and <laughs> The Revenge of the Sith did not have the best screenwriters. <laughs> and so it is an accurate reflection of a true romantic conversation. Like, I love you. You want burritos? Sure. You're pretty. <laughs> See, but we I need like... more toilet paper. Okay. It's even better now when I consider it's just George Lucas delivering the dialogue. <laughs> to Linda uh, Ronstadt. Yeah, it's a... Uh, Poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so you feel a little bit better, Audrey? I feel a lot better, yes. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Cargill, I'm going to go to you next. What is your Star Wars grievance? Well, it's, it's mostly uh, uh, a structural slash content one in which I'm very bothered by the fact that we have a big uh, uh, origin story for a character whose function in uh, the original trilogy is entirely the role of the uh, uh, the nameless bad guy that we see twice. That he is essentially like in a cop movie, you know, or in a crime movie, he would be the guy who, when our hero walks out of a building, we see sitting in a car and then slowly tracks him. Uh, who then, of course, whose biggest contribution to the series whatsoever is prisoner transport at the end of Empire Strikes Back. He is perhaps one of the most beloved Star Wars character who does absolutely nothing in the series except go, thank you, Darth Vader. I'm going to take him to the next movie now. Okay, so I have a grievance with your grievance. Uh, <laughs> it's a totally understandable one. It's a very good one. to talk. We haven't talked a lot about Boba Fett, uh, so I think this is great. He does do more than transport Han Solo. He is able to catch Han Solo because he is aware of the trick of a starfighter, uh, of a, a starship, clinging and hiding behind something well, in order to escape detection because Obi-Wan Kenobi does it to his father in Attack of the Clones. So it's actually, uh, we actually learn in Attack of the Clones why Boba Fett was able to do the most active thing he does, which is not be tricked by Han Solo and is able to follow and track him. Now, before you tell me that that is stupid, I know. <laughs> this is just like the, Han, the, the Star Wars dialogue. That's stupid. I know. But it is logic. It is there for a reason, and Boba Fett is active. But I think your, your main grievance is, did we need that origin? Exactly. Like, I'm fine with Boba Fett doing what Boba Fett does, and I'm fine with people loving Boba Fett. But the very fact that not only do we get an origin story of where Boba Fett came from, we get the origin story of how Boba Fett does the one interesting thing he does in the series. Okay, I think he does lots of interesting things. Like, he nods. <laughs> he, he stands very menacingly when told not that, that, that there's no disintegrations. Yes, he contemplates shooting somebody. A couple times. He thinks about it. Yeah. He walks with purpose. He walks with a lot of purpose. Jeremy Bullock was a great walker. Uh, uh, no, I think uh, there's a couple of fascinating things to me about the Boba Fett origin. And one is the push-pull, I think, that we have as fans of Star Wars, but fans in general, of when we want creators to just, like, be an auteur, go do whatever. And then when you're like, God damn it, listen to the fans. And this is an instance where George Lucas listened to the fans. He had no idea that Boba Fett was going to be as popular as he was, because I think he saw him as just functional. Hey, yeah, cool guy to do uh, prisoner transport for the most part. Uh, and then fans are like, oh, we love him. Why did you have him just fall into a big monster mouth and then the monster burps? Why did you do that? And he's like, oh, you liked him? All right, here you go. And then when George tries to give the fans what they want, then we got people sitting around on a panel at 10 a.m. saying, George, why did you do this? Poor George Lucas can't win. That's still no explanation. Yeah, so uh, there's, here's what we do on the panel. We explain and we try to make people feel better. So I suspect that I'm not going to be able to make you feel too much better because you are like a real-life Boba Fett. You are cool and unflappable. 
Well, and at the same time, uh, later on, we're going to show you a video of when I was a kid, and I learned by watching my father sit on a panel and also not be satisfied. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the last thing I'll say that you did, that you opened yourself up for this uh, discussion. Let's do it. Star Wars is a, a, a story uh, about uh, generations. It is a story about... Uh, Sometimes fathers and sons, hopefully more mothers and daughters are getting uh, added into the canon. But I do think that there is, for me, a richness in that story of here is yet another sort of dysfunctional relationship that is uh, between father and son. The Jango Fett is another character who is uh, has layers of both good and bad. That's fascinating that he is like this vicious bounty hunter, the worst ever. He's so skilled, they need to make a whole army off him. But he's like, you know what I really want? just a little me to hang out with me so I'm not alone, so I don't have to go through the galaxy alone. That is uh, very interesting to me. And then in the Clone Wars animated series, we get more good stuff about how uh, Boba Fett is sort of raised in this bounty hunter way. And his whole story of watching the tragedy of his father be murdered by a Jedi also uh, reminds us to question the morality and the nobility of the Jedi. So whether, whether, you know, your mileage may vary, but for me, I feel like there are big thematic ideas that you can pin to Boba Fett. And you might still, at the end of the day, say, I don't like any of those thematic ideas. I don't personally think they add to the Star Wars epic story, but I think they are there. Right on. Right. <laughs> that I, I is one of Boba Fett's deleted lines from the movie. Right right on. On. I feel like that and the prescription you're going to give me for, for Prozac will make me feel just fine. <laughs> Excellent. I will give Cargill some Prozac. That was a great one. Thank you, Cargill. Uh, so, Ken, we're going to address your grievance, but while we're addressing Ken's grievance, if people uh, could begin to line up behind the chair, and if we could get the volunteer with the mic there, that would be wonderful. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> a lot of grievances. Ken, what is your grievance for me this year? You know, uh, I feel that I'm being smothered by canon. <laughs> okay. Now, before the, the Disney purchase from Lucas, with the existence of the Expanded Universe, I felt that I could largely ignore what was happening in the Expanded Universe stories. Oh, okay. That it didn't really matter to my enjoyment or understanding of the core films or properties that were being released. With this new Lucasfilm story group and the everything matters. So not only the films, but also the TV shows and the Lego adventures and the comic books and the novels. All of which are providing sometimes, I think, beyond just supplementary material to, oh, this is necessary to understand what is going on with character relationships. That now I almost feel an obligation to dive into all of this expanded material. And I'm worried about that courting burnout with the franchise just by the sheer volume of extra materials that are being released. Yeah, so I, I totally understand that there's a ton of Star Wars stuff and all of the, uh, the additional stuff is more relevant in it. Uh, like, I think around Rogue One, all of the books around uh, Rogue One, Catalyst, the actual Rogue One novelization, the Rebel Rising is a great book that really fleshes out Jin Erso's life. Uh, so I'm being the, told the, toys are now canon additions when you have a toy like what was it Captain Jin Erso come out which isn't addressed in the film and it's like oh by the way yeah I guess the toy is canon because uh, she was made a captain no. posthumously <laughs> toys are not canon because like Admiral Raddus literally has a giant cannon that isn't canon as an action figure his giant cannon isn't canon that'll so be explored in the novel <laughs> no it won't canon, not a cannon <laughs> when it only has one end uh, um Oh, thank you. thank you, Smattering. Thank you. Uh, no, so here, here's what I, how I think about that. I think you, you can still walk away from all of the expanded canon material because I always think of Star Wars as tip of the iceberg storytelling. Like uh, when people first saw A New Hope, regardless of if you were alive when it came out or you saw it you know, two years ago and you didn't read anything else, part of the power of it is it suggests this much larger world. You know, like when Obi-Wan Kenobi says, you know, the Clone Wars, or everybody seems to know what a Minoc is, and you're just like, it, it, it fires your imagination, and it makes you go like, oh, well, what else is out there? It makes this whole world seem so very full and real and complete. And I feel like that is a kind of storytelling, and you can always have that storytelling if you want. You can just watch Rogue One, and you can have your own headcanon and your own imagination about, like, what is Jeddah? What does the Holy City mean? What did the Guardians of the Wills really do? You can still have that. Or you can choose to have this other fandom 
that is much, much more than the tip of the iceberg. So much more than the tip. Uh, I know what I said. Uh, what if you just want the tip? If you just want the tip, that's great. You can go to Rogue One and get just the tip. That should have been the poster title. <laughs> Rogue One, just the tip of Star Wars. Uh, I think it's the idea that now you're being told that everything's canon. So it's almost, now that's what, fe- that invites the obligation. It's like, only th- they mentioned Minox, but also there's a Minox limited series comic book that you can now read about the entire history of the Minox and how they got inside that creature that, that for me, that feeling of obligation that never existed is where I'm worried about that smothering. Okay, yeah. I don't think it is obligation. I think it is actually response to demand because I think it is really logical to say, wow, that's too much. Nobody can absorb that much content. And yet, we are. Uh, not everybody is reading every single thing, but they are making money. Uh, every book is popping up on New York uh, Times bestselling list. The, the comic books are doing better than most comic books do. So clearly there is an audience for it. So it's not like they're just like, let's flood the market with Star Wars and maybe maybe somebody will buy our Star Wars stuff, please. Like, it's it's uh, being sold. You certainly point of view with me, Joseph. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I was going to say even more, but it's so nice <laughs> that I don't have to. I, no, I, I, I think as somebody who's absorbing a lot of the extra content, I think it is an important thing for as fans to just be open to, like, everybody's going to enjoy Star Wars in a different way, and there are people who are going to want to, like, dive into the bubble and be like, well, let me explain to you uh, what else we learned about Jen Erso. And other people will be like, I saw the movie, and that's it, and that's all I want. And then when I'm talking to those people, I try not to go like, well, but actually in the books, and just talk to them <laughs> about the movie and let them enjoy the tip. Is, is, is that called fansplaining? Is that yeah, is? yeah. I try not to fansplain. That's exactly but right. That series of candy wrappers about Radis is incredible. People yes. should read the entirety of those wrappers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Absorb all the Radis you can. <laughs> Probe every shield with Radis. Find out where that gun comes from. <laughs> all right, we are going to jump into our grievances from here on out. Audrey, Ken, and Cargill are also going to try to bring you to the light side and make you feel better. Uh, can we get the mic nice and close so we can pick them up? Thank you, Jonathan. And, uh, my grievance, I have several, but one that stood out to me was the expectation of Kylo Ren. Uh, so if you remember when all the hype was building up the past year before the movie started, uh, came out of the theater, people were thinking, how is he going to compare to Darth Vader? You know, a lot of people have this false thing uh, in their mind saying, well, I mean, he could be better than Darth Vader. Uh, maybe we should set our expectations down lower, even though Mark Hamill said, don't treat this movie as like the second coming, which did they gave me all for it. Luke Skywalker speaks his mind. Yeah. <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of the movie, uh, he stops the blaster bolt in the air, and you're thinking, oh, wow, he could be better than Vader. He could be this new awesome villain. But when you start throwing that first mask in, I can just feel people fear things and wait a minute, this is something wrong here. Why is he acting like this? He's not in control. And you kind of know from the trailers, he is from a Darth Vader fanboy, because in the trailers you see the helmet. But then uh, when the backlash came on YouTube, all these people making videos hating on the movie, you know, one of the biggest grievances with them was, oh, Kyle Ren's a pussy, he's a, you know. And then you get to the end of the movie, and I remember uh, thinking, well, Ray is gaining all these powers so quickly. And uh, in previous Star Wars films, you know, lightsaber battles are full of emotion and yeah, I'm, I'm starting to sense uh, sense multiple grievances. So, just in in the uh, in the spirit of time, if we can get to the heart of your primary grievance, that'd be great. Yeah, it just felt like there's zero tension in the final lightsaber battle because Ray was already so good, and Kylo would seem like a pushover. That's just I kind of wish they had done something more where they had like maybe him the sub villain and have the like the master come in like a Snoke or someone else who's an angel for that movie was there helping him. Maybe it just felt like. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Star Wars uh, marketing is changing. To address your last thing, is they used to always just uh, lead with the villain. It used to be Vader when uh, uh, when Phantom Menace came out. Everything was Maul, uh, you know. And now we have the Brave New World right now, where all the Last Jedi stuff suddenly has the heroes on it. So I think there's a shift in marketing. I think a, a couple of quick things, and then I'm gonna have my panels jump in. For me, uh, one thing that I think you could do to make yourself feel better is uh, don't look at YouTube comments as much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because yeah 
Yeah. And now, I don't want to judge anybody's fandom, but I feel like there is a pocket of Star Wars fandom that is really excited about the bad guys and who's the baddest and who is the most powerful. And if that's the kind of fandom you want to have, I think that's just fine. So you need to pick them here. Yeah. You need to see like a fanboy is not quite up to the dark days of what you want to be there. Yeah, and exactly. And I feel like if you just get kind of caught up in which Sith is most powerful? Is it Darth Bane? Is it like, you know, who has the most power? Who can do this? And really almost sort of gamifying it. And like, how many force points does this one pick? That's a kind of fandom. But then I think if you're invested in that kind of fandom, then you're not open to having a truly new villain that is powerful in the force, but is not at all centered emotionally and is a fanboy. And for me, that's what's great about Kylo Ren is he is... He's not better than Vader. He's different, which is better for us as the audience, is uh, how I look at it. Cargill, you had a thought. <clears throat> yeah, I think the I think everything you're talking about isn't uh, uh, it's uh, a feature, not a bug. Uh, it's not the fact that uh, he's just not cool enough to live up to Vader. It's the point that he's not cool enough to live up to Vader. The uh, uh, and I hate to go back to the prequels on this, but please we, do. But we really do need to. Um, the you know, remember that feeling when you're watching uh, uh, Obi-Wan make that case to the Jedi Council about bringing, uh, bringing him in uh, uh, to uh, bringing in Anakin and teaching him the ways of the Force, and they're like, no, we're not going to do it. And you're just like, dicks. <laughs> and now you're seeing why. Kylo Ren is the result of what happens when you aren't very careful about who you pick, because what happens is there is a lot of power there. And there is a lot of power to be tapped into very quickly, as we're seeing. Um, and we did see that with Luke Skywalker, too. We just kind of imagine, oh, well, maybe Luke Skywalker was on Dagobah for, like, five years. When really it's like he was there for a couple weeks, and then all of a sudden he's, he's freaking Luke Skywalker. So um, uh, I, I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing a character who is way too powerful and has zero emotional control and cannot control himself, and we're seeing the result of that. And of course he's not as good as Vader, and that's his entire arc, is he wants to be as good as Vader, and he's just nowhere near having the, the perfect control that Anakin does. Uh, and as a result is this just loose cannon of emotion that's kind of a douche. <laughs> yeah, Does the, I, yeah, go ahead. I've rationalized it because um, I've had the same thoughts as, as you, and, and my nights where I stayed up late thinking about it. Um, you know, what everything what Carter said is very important, but at the end, he's also a child of divorce. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so his life, if you look at it in those terms, and he's really wanting someone to connect to, and he chooses Vader. Grandfather. You know, and so when he has his fits and everything, he's never learned, he's never had a good example in his life, in his familial life, of how to hone that in. Whereas Ray was has been completely self-sufficient, basically raising herself and you know, making herself survive so when she needs to laser focus, she can do it easily because she's never had any, um, that's all she's been able to do to survive, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ken, and then we'll, we'll move on. Yeah, I mean, he killed Han Solo. That makes him a pretty solid villain for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point. Does that help a little bit? <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, next person, please give us your name and grievance. <laughs> uh, so, Damn you! <laughs> I got into it when I was nine years old, and I totally fell in love with the character of Boba Fett, and I consumed like tons and tons of expanded universe material on Boba Fett, and a lot of the stories like I still love, like uh, Last Night Standing and um, Legacy of Force. Um, so all this expanded universe stuff is very close to my heart, and this character I really love. Um, but now you know they have like the Han Solo reboot and everything, so of course they're also going to raise that. They're going to bring Boba Fett back, either in the Monsella thing or maybe in like the main new trilogy that they're making. Um, and I want to be excited for it, but a lot of times I just feel kind of dread knowing that they are almost certainly going to change all the stories in the expanded universe that I love. So I want to be excited whenever there's new like Boba Fett rumors or news, but instead I just feel kind of, you know, on the fence about it. Okay. Yeah, I think we can help get you off the Boba Fett fence. Uh, <laughs> Boba fence. The Boba fence. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I feel like they have proven that they are very respectful of canon and, or, or of the legends, uh, and they want to bring as much of that that they feel like 
still works within the, the kind of storytelling they want to do, they're trying so hard to bring it in and make people who came up through Legends feel like this is still a, a part of Star Wars as we know it. And, you know, they have even said, uh, the, the story group has very clearly said, you know, just because uh, something exists in Legends doesn't mean maybe it won't be canon someday. It's just not canon until it's absolutely confirmed. So I think you can uh, tap into the spirit of Star Wars and hold out hope that what surprises from your Boba Fett stories that you love might actually pop up. And then the other thing to me with all of the expanded universe uh, in Legends debate is I don't see how it's too bad of a thing to have two different versions of stories about a a person and thing you love. Like, uh, if I could have two of anything I love, I would want that. Like, if I could clone my wife, I'd do that. <laughs> Why not have two? I mean, I've met her, I would too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I just feel like, was it? Was that weird? All right. A little bit weird. Maybe I've been defending Anakin's romance in the prequels too much. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting weird. Anyway, I think more of what we love is always a good thing. You guys have any Boba Fett thoughts? No, no, I'm just uh, going to think about cloning your wife. <laughs> we all get a clone in this story, right? <laughs> yes. No, I, it, it, back to the expanded universe. Or did, looking at the, the Stephen King quote about you know the books being still on the shelf yeah. when you're disappointed with a film adaptation. Those Boba Fett stories you love still exist, and you still love them, and you can go back and read them, and maybe there'll be more new cool ones that come up that doesn't negate the existence of those ones that you enjoyed. So maybe they're now just rumors and myths about this mythical figure of Boba Fett and adventures he may have had and are just not confirmed yet. I would, I would also argue that it's very important as a, uh, as a nerd, as a consumer uh, of this stuff, that uh, canon belongs to you, not to anyone else. That, uh, uh, that some panel of people at Disney can tell you, no, this is the story of Boba Fett. They don't get to put that in your head. You always get to have the Boba Fett you want. Take that, Pablo Hidalgo. <laughs> and you can have two Boba Fett for free. <laughs> Does that make you feel a little bit better? All right, thank you very much. A round of applause. Yay! Name and grievance, please. We can help you with that. No. <laughs> um, and I'm super excited about Force Awakens. I cried. There's a female lead. I went back to my coworkers and I was like, oh my god. And they were like, it was the exact same movie. I was like, did you miss the female lead of the Jedi? <laughs> and I don't know how to make them see that this is not the same movie. And there's a female lead. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's a really hard one, because that gets not into, like, well, let's make up some headcanon about Star Wars. That's a, like, oh, what, what's some quick headcanon for changing our culture? <laughs> it's a, no, no, no. I, it's, a, it's a great and understandable grievance. Um, and I think maybe uh, the panel can talk a little bit, too. It comes up a lot, the, the criticism that Force Awakens is uh, too similar to A New Hope. And again, I go back to the question of, you know, what... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I go back to that question of, you know, what, what do we want as fans? Do we, do we want exactly what we expect? Or do we want to be surprised uh, by something? And I think, you know, Force Awakens uh, suffers for that. I, I, to me, the biggest thing is exactly what you're doing now. You're saying this. This will, uh, you know, be on a podcast. And as many times as people can hear, the characters are different. And maybe that wasn't important to you, but it's important to other people. As much as we can just keep telling people that, they can still say, I didn't like the movie, but maybe on a cultural level, they can begin to understand these characters are significant to some of us. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, the first time I saw the film, I just really liked it. And then I went two days later again to see it. And, and it was the second movie where I cried, just not because I already knew it was going to happen. And just seen Ray on screen, so I totally understand as a woman how it felt to see to to see Ray. And then I, of course, you know, and, and know a lot of people that have that same argument. And I get it; I get the argument. But no one's going to take away my joy in seeing The Force Awakens. So you know, you, when your friends are doing that, it's just like la 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 la. Don't listen to them. You know, you keep your joy about that movie because it was great. Um, I would like to point out that um, your your coworkers are right. Uh, it is the same movie. Thank you. But, 
the same people who will say, oh, well, you know, uh, Force Awakens is the same movie as A New Hope, will go and see every Fast and Furious movie that comes out. <laughs> as if they are somehow different than the last one. Um, and I would also point out that, you know, beef fajitas and chicken fajitas are the same thing with a different meat, and that's awesome. So, I mean, you really do get it. They are very similar films. They're deliberately structured to be the same. They have a lot of the same elements, but they're just different enough to make it make it possible to watch both of them and not watch the same movie. And that's not. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Any other thoughts? No, I'm good. I'm just thinking of the fajitas. <laughs> I'm sorry. I come from Texas, and we we speak in fajitas. Thank you very much. Round of applause. Name and grievance, please. My name is Jimmy, and where do I begin? Uh, At the beginning. <laughs> a long time ago, in a oh, galaxy far, far away. Okay, my only grievance, since we're, you know, have other people, um, and I guess you talked about Boba Fett earlier, and um, Daniel Logan was here this weekend, and kind of talked about Boba Fett and so forth. But my grievance is, Django Fett kind of sucks. Okay. <laughs> Because he's hired to kill Padme, but he doesn't actually go out to kill Padme. He hires Sam to go out and kill Padme, but she doesn't actually go out to do it either. She sends this robot to go do it, and the robot doesn't do it either. It dispenses these two little poisonous worms. Am I right? Cahoons, yes. It dumps the cahoons in the bedroom, if you know what I mean. So, so are you? Are, what you're trying to suggest is the say the father of the guy who uh, bumped into a skiff and got eaten by a sarlacc on accident may not have also been, you know, the best at what he does. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess, like... <laughs> yeah, totally understandable. I just don't understand, like, you know, and Logan said in, like, the panel yesterday, is like, Jango Fett's the most badass bounty hunter ever. No, he's not. And he does, I mean, he does have, you know, kind of like a, well, not heroic, but, you know, an awesome end. I mean, you know, getting his head chopped off by a Jedi instead of just accidentally being knocked into a starlight by some guy who's not blind. Yeah. Uh, so, so let us try to help you with this grievance. Uh, this is uh, my headcanon for Django's actions in Attack of the Clones. I think he is a badass. And I think we all know sometimes in life, even when we're really good at something, the best at something, that doesn't mean we always want to go out and do it. And I think this is the best bounty hunter in the galaxy at his laziest. <laughs> He's been sitting on Camino, just chilling, getting a big check for just having his DNA being made, and then he used to walk around and go like, cool, look at all of me. This is a pretty great gig. You need me to kill who? Where? Uh, no, I'm going to get this other person to do it, and I'll just skulk around behind the scenes. and just I think he's just being lazy. Any other uh, thoughts? Maybe he is the best, and this is just a really bad week. <laughs> Maybe all of these, this methodology worked perfectly fine in the past, this outsourcing, and it's just, oh, this is just really not working right now, and it just snowballed from there. So we just seen a really bad week in Django Fett's life. I, I think he's playing 40 chess, and we're still playing out the uh, resolution of his brilliant plan. <laughs> it's, a, it's another beautiful part of the Anakin Padme romance because you know it, it's Anakin's deep connection to Padme that keeps foiling all of his plans in a way. So uh, you know it's really just uh, Jango Fett showing us once again how beautiful that romance is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he knew if he didn't get his head cut off, we wouldn't have Boba Fett. I would also point out that um, the reason why Jango Fett is the most badass bounty hunter ever is that Boba Fett is green and red with some yellow in it, and Jango Fett is blue and silver. <laughs> <laughs> Which relates back to fajitas somehow, I'm sure. Does that make you feel at all better? A little bit. A little bit. I'll take that. Thank you very much. <laughs> name and grievance, please. Like Jar Jar Binks. 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think uh, we are in a a better place for Jar Jar, and I think a better place for Star Wars fandom because of the speed of discussion. Uh, and that's just like that's the world. That's social media now. We we have these fights and they get chewed up, and then we take our sides, and that's just kind of it. It happens so much faster, and there are all these podcasts, and you know you can go online and all that. Uh, so I feel like we are reaching this point where a lot of people are like, let's let go of the hate and let's just enjoy Jar Jar ironically. Like uh, I'm a comedian and I love Star Wars and I saw Phantom Menace and I you know I consider myself a prequelist now, but it's like, did that? fish thing step in shit in Star Wars and I was you know I was furious about it for a long time and then at, at a certain point it's just sort of like yeah you, you can try to admire what George Lucas was trying to do and just enjoy it for what it is and I think Jar Jar is this sort of a sacrificial Gungan lamb where it's taken us 15 years to kind of fight the hate you know the Ewoks before them and now look at us as Star Wars fans, we've almost finished the Porg debate about love them or hate them, and the movie hasn't come out yet. <laughs> so I think there's just more room in our, in our culture and our society now for, like, some people are going to hate them, and other people are going to go, maybe, they're, maybe I love them, and then even a third group are going to go, like, they're not perfect, but I'll enjoy them ironically because part of Star Wars is being silly. Uh, other thoughts on Jar Jar love and Jar Jar hate? When you saw that film? Uh, if you don't want to answer that question. No, no, I'm 25, so eight. Yeah, so that's, I think that's it right there. Like, when I saw um, in the movie in the 70s, and you hope in the 70s, and, and how much I love C-3PO and, and R2-D2, but then seeing it as an adult, uh, I, sometimes, still now, I'm like, man, C-3PO is annoying. You know? <laughs> and I've always felt that Jar Jar was that replacement for kids. So we went to see it with our kid, and Zoe loved Jar Jar. She came out of the film. So I think you have that attachment to him because you were in those young years, and, and at the end, you do you. Ken or Cargill, do you have anything to say about Jar Jar yeah. love and hate? I, I do, uh, as somebody who loads him with the fire of a thousand suns. <laughs> uh, as someone who also uh, saw Return of the Jedi when I was eight. Um, and uh, my mother made me an Ewok costume for Halloween. And I have this great picture, which I cherish, of me dressed as, as Wicked R. Warwick. And uh, I do adore the Ewoks to this day. Have never gotten the hate for Ewoks. Um, and, uh, and I am, uh, I also, uh, a little backstory, I was, uh, a film critic for about 10 years for Ain't It Cool News, and, uh, the, the whole core of Ain't It Cool News was about loving film and loving things, and one of the things I found is being in a niche fandom like loving Jar Jar Binks, um, you actually you have this special place where you actually love this even more than other people do and that love is special that enjoyment of it is special so even though you have to deal with these these hateful people this is a fandom entirely about love and you just kind of deal with that and embrace the fact that you have this happiness that no one else gets to experience and believe me I wish I wish I could love Jar Jar Banks. I wish when he came on screen I was like oh Jar Jar the way I am with Ewoks so what you have is actually special and should not be there should be no shame there and you should uh, as as the saying goes Luke let go just <laughs> let people have their anger because we know where that leads uh, yeah. uh, Ken do you have any Jar Jar thoughts to add? I can't get more beautiful than Cargill's Ewok love okay okay <laughs> name and grievance Hi, I'm Derek um as we all know, the most powerful weapon in Star Wars is not Starkiller Base, but actually 10 feet of dirt for a high jump. But I'm not always been confused about the contradiction because uh, Darth Maul had the high ground over Obi-Wan. Uh. Yeah, he did. He he had the high ground, uh, but he was also both Anakin and, or, and or Darth Vader. Really, at that point, both Darth Vader and Darth Maul also had hubris, where they thought that they were uh, utterly undefeatable. Uh, so, I, I, to me, the, the high ground thing is I totally understand that, you know, it is not going to track well as, on, as you know, being like, that's tactically true, and we all know that. I mean, it's not going to work, and you're going to find plenty of examples where somebody was uh, slightly taller or higher and still <laughs> managed to win. The thing I really like about the high ground moment is it was nice to slow down the fight and have us be able to see the true character moment where Obi-Wan used the light side of the Force to be calm and tactical and not 
you know, defeat him through being like more powerful or more rageful, but get himself to a tactical advantage in it, which is like a light side perspective. And then clearly to us, the audience say, here is the situation. Anakin, don't do this. And then to see Anakin, you know, give in to uh, the, the bad side of hate of like, sometimes you can focus it, but sometimes it's going to make you do just like random dumb things. So I, for me, it slows it down and it lets us really see narratively where the characters are and highlights the difference between the light side and the dark side. And then it is silly and we get to have fun with it too. When the, but this goes back to your... Uh, gulf between concept and execution issue with yeah. the prequels. Would that moment have been slightly better if you had that discussion minus the line, I have the high ground? Because we can visually see he has the high ground. He can still have the discussion of don't do this and the deeper thing without stating the obvious, which is a lot of what's in prequels. Yeah. No, I would have liked an even longer conversation. Uh, I would have liked Obi-Wan to say, I have a tactical advantage, and Anakin say, well, how's that? And he's like, well, as you can see, I am about 10 feet higher. And, and Anakin you, says, and how does that help? And, like, and what do you think about cloning your wife? <laughs> I, I would just like, I think the most important thing to point out is having the high ground is not a special Jedi power, and so it's not violating canon in any way. Yeah. It is also possible if you want to just simply interpret the line as Obi-Wan Kenobi has the moral high ground, which he actually does. Uh, well, that goes back to jerk Obi-Wan. <laughs> uh, Audrey, I was going to say, Anakin. Um, I kind of got lost there and thought when you said the high stuff, because I'm over six feet tall and I have the high ground, but I lose all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm looping into a, a spiral of despair about my height. Can you help me with that? Yeah. Uh, just it, imagine someone jumping over you and how easy it would be to punch them if they flew over you. Thank you. <laughs> right in the tip of Star Wars. Does that help a little bit? Thank you very much. Round of applause. Name and grievance, please. Hi, my name is Lisa, and my grievance is the government of the boot. <laughs> The well, first, just let me say, bless you for wanting more politics in Star Wars. <laughs> More clear discussion of the political rules, which I think is fun. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's this, uh, it's this awesome thing that it's just the randomness of Star Wars that it's a totally normal elected uh, position. It should be the, you know, prime ruler or whatever, but it's just queen because Naboo likes that word for whatever reason. I, I can step in here. Oh, please do. Uh, what you are seeing is a representative monarchy. Um, I mean, which we don't have here on, on Earth that they have in Naboo. If you pay attention to how it works, uh, they elect their queen, and their queen then has absolute power as a queen would. It's not like electing president where our president has veto power over the bills that are created in the Senate and the House and that those are passed up to him and he can veto and then it gets sent back and then they can send it back to him and that he can't actually create bills himself and can have certain presidential edicts. No, she has absolute power. So calling her a queen is a nice shorthand way of showcasing just what level of power that elected position has. So I feel like I think Queen is a perfectly fine thing to call Amidala because it's, it's about how much power that elected position does hold rather than being what we refer to as, as a king or a queen. That is a monarchy that stays in it and is then passed down to project. But it is also one with term limits. Yeah. It's not queen for life. Exactly. And in, yeah. Yeah. Audrey, do you have any thoughts on the, the no, queen royalty? Right, that was a really, really good answer. Really yeah. good explanation of their politics. And yeah. I think another thing about it that's delightful is that Naboo is just smart enough to elect a young, intelligent women. Like, <laughs> hey, old white guys, you can maybe be senator. But for, for the queen, we're going with young women. Thank you very much. Round of applause. Name and grievance, please. Uh, my name is uh, Brian. I do a lot of this myself on my podcast. And I think I could walk you closer to the finish line on Jar Jar. 
bothered by the editing and like there's like obviously legitimate problems and obviously you're the kind of person that's like that, that draws your focus uh i think that you could interpret it as abrams building in on purpose the opportunity for a special edition of the force awakens i would i would welcome that it needed more politics yeah I, I agree that it needed uh, more more politics the plans are discussed in a novel that you can read <laughs> 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 they really aren't. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and some of it's just that that visual element, and some of it like uh, the the actual like plan and plot of blowing up Star Killer Base. Um, I feel like it, it's one of those things that it's there. It's just not as elegant as it maybe could be. Um, so I, I feel like it doesn't bother me personally too much. Um, and in a way, it's like I, I don't want pristine, perfect movies because that's part of what this has always been, you know, like A New Hope is it's like every usable frame was used, including really, really funny, you know, clearly incorrect things. Like my favorite one is when uh, Darth Vader continues pointing after he has finished speaking. That is my single favorite thing. And I would be heartbroken if that was taken out of A New Hope. So to me, there's also like, eh, Star Wars should be a little uh, wobbly. Uh, and even though it's like, yes, a director made an error, there's still a charm to it to me. Uh, Cargo, you have a thought? Yeah, uh, I'm from the Scorsese school of cinema, which is that cinema isn't meant to be taken literally. Uh, It's not supposed to be everything that happens deliberately on screen is exactly how it happens. It's the element of telling a story. Um, There's a great example I like to use is from Ryan Johnson's film Looper. Uh, Ryan Johnson, of course, is directing the next uh, uh, Star Wars film. So uh, Ryan has this scene in which um, uh, a character walks into a diner to have breakfast with himself 30 years in the future. And he sits down, uh, the waitress comes by, he orders breakfast, he starts talking with Bruce Willis, and then 30 seconds later the waitress comes back and delivers his food. Um, and there's a, a, pod, a, a, a YouTube thing called Cinema Sins, which says, you know, points this out and and thinks this is an error of some sort. And the truth is it's not an error. It's not a mistake. What it is is that scene that we're watching is not meant to be taken literally. That's not his food coming 30 seconds later. This scene is entirely about watching, uh, getting all the highlights, getting the important bits out of that sequence. So when things like helmets are missing from the shot, uh, you know that it's there. Even though you're not seeing it, in the editing, even though there are these mistakes in the editing, you know the story and you know what's supposed to be there. And that's the important part, so that you get the impression of the story and that you're supposed to be focusing on what's going on and not necessarily the technical details of making it. Do those ideas help uh, help you play around yeah, with it in your mind? They do help you play around, play around. All right, well, thank you very much. Big round of applause. <laughs> we have... This season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly what yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Game of Thrones after. Yeah. Yes. We only have a few minutes left, so let's uh, try to get through uh, the rest of our uh, wonderful friends. Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay, so I'm like, slowly getting through it so slowly, and I just finished the Mortis arc, which is painfully stupid in my mind, but the, I, I couldn't get over watching it because I'm like, 
why is it that it's acting like this is such a big world-changing thing and then they forget everything and nothing comes of it and this is completely useless and why did they even include that? That doesn't make any sense. Literally could have done anything else. Why did you even bother including this? Like I know it's filler, but that doesn't feel like a good explanation. Yeah, so I mean I think again everything is subjective. I think to Lucas and Filoni, those that mortis arc is the total opposite of filler. And if you want to, you know, dive deep, maybe you've done this. If you uh, Google Mortis Chosen One, opinions, theories. There are a ton of people who are, just feel like that is the key that unlocks all of the really deep ideas about what the nature of the Force is. How do you find that balance? Connects back to the Bendu, connects back maybe to The Last Jedi of Luke Skywalker, to like all of these big ideas of what the Force is uh, are contained in that. So I feel like uh, the best I can, I can say, since we're trying to move uh, fast here, is... Totally fine if you're like, eh, I'm bored by it. But for a lot of people, it's the heart of the story of the Force. Okay. Out <laughs> oh, <laughs> of curiosity, are you watching the show in production order or chronological order? I don't know. It's on Netflix. Yeah. That's, that's the production order? Is that how they've got yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but uh, we would love, would love to talk more about it. That's a great question. Don't have as much time for now. But thank you so much. Round of applause. <laughs> So you, you don't like the uh, you don't like the actual footage or you don't like the time too closely to a new hope? I mean, it's just I don't know, it's somehow just that wedging in of the of the old footage for some reason. I just can't okay. Uh, again, we're short on time, so I'll tell you the thing that delights me. Uh, one of the characters they included is named a Garvin Drace, but his middle name is Dave. How could you not want more of a guy named Garvin Dave Drace? <laughs> Get more Dave for your buck. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a totally uh, understand, leader. understandable uh, 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 con- concern, but I feel like that's a, a part of like what Ken was saying. That's just a part of what Star Wars is now. It is going to start tying together and connecting more and more and more, and you know, it's going to be uh, we're going to get more than the tip sometimes in Star Wars. Any other uh, quick thoughts on that uh, grievance? No, I just like that uh, more than the tip is sort of the tagline for this. <laughs> I love for all the new hope stuff that they wedged in there, we didn't get a little more wedge. <laughs> wedge was unwedged. Does that make you feel a little bit better? Excellent. Big round of applause. Uh, okay, so uh, here's my thing on midi coins, and then I would like to hear uh, from the panel. Uh, I understand that other people, the people are like, oh, it's too sciency. It's basically it turns the you know the force into like a blood disease. Here's the thing to me about it being too sciency. They are tiny microscopic beings that talk to some ethereal thing called the force, and then by being in your body, whisper to your soul. That's not too scientific for me. <laughs> That's how I approach midi-chlorians. Uh, anybody else have opinions on midi-chlorians? I just, you know, it, I get um, a little... When I found out about midi-chlorians, all of a sudden I put myself in a Star Wars universe, which I often do, and I feel like I'd be one of the people that didn't have midi-chlorians, and it just makes me sad. <laughs> so that's my thought. You should be happy because, you know, they, they're, they're determined by the... Uh, uh, you, you, because you're so tall, you have extra room in your butt <laughs> for more midichlorians. I, I, I rationale... My rationale for it is this. Midichlorians uh, are not what create the Force. Midichlorians are attracted to people who have the Force. That the things that they're giving off attract them. And when they find someone that has so many midichlorians... It's because there's something about him that is drawing more of them. So that's always been how I've looked at it, because personally I think little biological creatures creating a magical force is kind of stupid, but little creatures being attracted to the force, like firefly or like, uh, like moths to a, a, a street lamp, that makes total sense to me. So they're infested with midichlorians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's a fun religious blood disease. What's not to like? Did that help a little bit? Excellent. Well, thank you all so much. You are a great audience. Uh, Audrey, quickly, where can people find you on social media? Um, at Audrey Kearns on Twitter, at Audrey Kearns underscore on Instagram, and please check out geekgirlsonthory.com. And Ken? Uh, at Ken Plume on Twitter, uh, at uh, InstaKenPlume on Instagram, and uh, KenPlume.com for links to everything else. Excellent. And Cargill? You can find me on Twitter, at MassaWarm, that's M-A-S-S-A-W-Y-R-M, and you can find my podcast where I talk about films that I love that uh, other people don't necessarily do every week. Uh, it's called Junk Food Cinema, and you can find that on uh, iTunes uh, and uh, Blog Talk Radio Network. Awesome. Thank you to my high midi clearing count guests. You can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter as at Force Center Pod. And until next time, as Han Solo once said, in a moment of brutal, naked honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. That's it for Star Wars Counseling. Thank you all very, very much. And a round of applause for Joseph. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.